Uh, if the youth group continues to grow, I'll be sitting in the back with my Baptist friends. <clears throat> James chapter 5, a great, great portion of Scripture for us this morning. I don't know if you like um, the books that are really lists. I mean, you know, they're popular, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which Actually, there was an eighth habit, so the guy had to write one more book. I think he just had a lot of sales, and he thought, well, maybe I just missed one. Five Dysfunctions of a Team is a pretty popular book that's going around in business circles. Three Big Questions for a Frantic Family. Four Obsessions of of an Extraordinary Executive. Whatever the case may be, uh, basically, somebody has a list in their mind of how you would run your business better or be a better manager or have a better family, and they just want to take their list and expand on the list, and they make it a book. And you may like those kinds of things. And if you do, then you'll like the book of James because the book of James is really a list of how you would live your life. And, of course, the, this idea of creating a list isn't something new to our time and it's certainly not something that just James made up. We, we see these lists that go through all of our lives, and you have a certain list maybe running around in your head. You might remember that Ben Franklin created a list of 13 virtues. And so what Ben Franklin did was he had these 13 virtues, and uh, once a week he would focus on one of these virtues, like temperance. And this is what he said, eat not to dullness, drink not to elevation or humility. Imitate Jesus and Socrates. Jonathan Edwards had his own list. It was 70 resolutions. Some of you have read those. And he always says resolved, and then he has some statement about how he would do that. And he would read through these once a week, these 70 resolutions. Never do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Resolved, number 21, never do anything which, if I should see in another, I should despise him. And so he just read through these lists. And like I said, James is a list. The early church had a list. There were seven deadly sins. Pride, envy, gluttony, lust, anger, greed, sloth. And so if you look with me back to chapter 1 in James, look with me in chapter 1, verse 2. And you'll see how James sort of has this um, picture that he's starting with, and then he begins his list. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or patience, and let that patience have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So if James were selling this letter as a book today, he might call it the path to perfection or a a list where you would lack nothing. And so he basically tells you what he is he's writing about. He's saying, hey, you congregation, he's the pastor of the early church. And he's saying, here's a list. Here are different things that you and I need to be working on as we follow along with Christ, as we take our Christianity out of the door and onto the streets. This is how it should look. This is how we should Live our lives. And so we could go through here, James chapter 1, verse 19. One of the things that 
James would say, is to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Chapter 1, verse 27, take care of orphans and widows. Chapter 2, verse 1, show no partiality. Chapter 2, verse 14, don't be a hypocrite. Chapter 3, verse 1, put a bridle on your tongue. Chapter 5, verse 1, watch out for wealth, both how you acquire it and how you use it. And so essentially you can read the book of James. It's just a series of things, a series of lists that he thinks is important for us. But I want you to notice both back in chapter 1, verse 4, and also in our text today, chapter 5, verse 11, he really says the same thing, and that is to be patient or to, have, to be steadfast. Let steadfastness have its full effect, verse 4. And then in verse 11 of chapter 5, Behold, we consider those who remain steadfast or patient. Those people are blessed. And so well, the way I think about it is these are sort of bracketing the list. These are not only on the list. Be patient is on the list. But it's a bracket. It's a way of James of saying everything that you're going to try to do is going to require patience. This is going to be a, an additive. This is going to be something that no matter which other component of your Christian life you're working on, it's going to require some patience on your part. We're going to have to be steadfast. We're going to encounter trials of all kinds. And so James is saying, be patient. James is the pastor of this church that's heavily persecuted. And so he sees his congregation maybe getting tired. And it would be easy for them to sort of give in. It would be easy for them to, to say, well, I just wish this stage were over. And, and then I can finally get on with living. And James is saying the living is in today. So let's be patient today. And I don't know if you have worked this way mentally, but I know a number of people do. We don't live in a time of great persecution, at least for us. There are different places on the globe that there are persecution. But, but I don't know if you've, you notice yourself really living in a different moment. And it comes out this way. Well, as soon as this stage is over... Then I can finally live. And, and physically you may be here, but mentally you're really living in a different stage. And so you may be here even this morning saying, I, I just can't wait till this sermon is over. Physically you're sitting here, but mentally you're thinking about this afternoon or you've got your list going through your head about what's going to have to happen on Monday or what's the big meeting going to come out like on Thursday. And, and you're really here physically, but mentally you live in a, a different place. You're, you're always saying to yourself, as soon as this gets over, then I can finally sort of arrive. I, I, if you're in middle school, you say, man, I can't wait to get to high school. As soon as you get to high school, I can't wait to get out of high school. And when you get to college, well, I, can't, I can't wait to get out of college. Then when you're out of college, I wish I was back in college. I can't wait to get this job. And you get the job and then you go, I can't wait to get out of this job. I, I, I wish I was married. I wish I had somebody to spend time with. And you get married and... I, I wish I had some more time alone. 
And, and you, you, you want to be pregnant. I, I can't wait to be pregnant. You get pregnant. I can't wait not to be pregnant. I can't wait to have a child. I can't wait to have this child get out of this stage. I can't wait until my child goes away. I can't wait for my child to come back. I can't wait for a promotion. I, I can't wait until I don't have so much responsibility. I can't wait till I retire. And you spend your whole life believing that life is just around the corner. And then when it's too late, you realize life was the corner. I don't know if I'm speaking to anybody here. But, but James is saying, God's got a hold of the future. You don't need to worry about that. You've got enough troubles for today. Let's, let's live in today. Let's be patient as we work through the issues of today. And, and let's not physically be here and mentally always be in a different place and really just miss out on the life that God has for us. There's three angles of what James uh, encourages us in terms of being patient. First, I want to look at is just he does encourage us. He's in a great encouragement. He's a he's a great pastor here. And you you get the sense of it when, it, when he's always talking about brothers. Be be patient, brothers. Uh, establish your hearts, brothers. Don't don't grumble against each other, brothers. He's he's always trying to come alongside like a coach and he's trying to encourage to be patient. So I want you to hear James's encouragement this morning. And then he offers a warning. When you are tired, one of the easiest things to do is complain. And he offers a warning against grumbling. And then finally, he gives us some examples. So we won't be able to hit all of these in the same depth, but I want to just take a look at them this morning in that way, encouragement. James has a sense that his congregation is tired, his congregation is is growing weary, so he's he's coming up alongside of them, and he's saying, verse seven, be patient, brothers. And in the Greek, this word patient is a is a compound word, macrothumos, which means long temper. So it's where we get long suffering from. In, in another way that uh, the Greek could be defined, it's long, hard breathing. And I like that picture. It's like a distance runner. If you're going to be a distance runner, if you're going to run a, a long race, what has to happen? You have to have a long period of time of hard breathing. If you just can have a short period of time of hard breathing, then you're just going to be a sprinter or maybe you're just a couch potato. But either way, you're not going to be a long distance runner. A long distance runner has to build an endurance where you're breathing hard for a long period of time. And so James is coming alongside of those people trying to encourage the, his long-distance running congregation. Verse 8, he says it in a different way. Establish your hearts. It, it's, it's a way to say, get fixed on one point. You, you have turned in one direction and I don't want you to turn away from that. I want you to keep moving in that same direction. Get set. Get your feet planted. Keep looking in this direction. Establish 
your hearts. Paul says the same, uses the same word in Romans 1.11. I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. And James is encouraging these weary pilgrims to stay on a, a fixed point. To, to realize that the Lord is coming. See that in verse 7. Be patient until the Lord comes. The, the Lord is at the door. He's near. So now, now's not the time to, to get off the fixed point. Now is not the time to swerve away from where you should be going. When I, when I thought about this picture of establishing your heart and staying fixed, you're turned in a particular direction. I was remembering uh, several trips that I took when I was in youth ministry to the, with these high school students. We would travel down to Miami and we would get on a sailboat and we would sail from Miami over to the Bahamas to this little island, which is nearest to Miami. It's called Bimini. And it's only 50 miles across. It's really not that far until you reach the Bahamas as you go out of Miami. And so what would happen is we'd always get on the boat at night. We'd get all the provisions. We'd get everything set. And then maybe around midnight, we would start sailing out of the harbor. We'd make our way out of the harbor. And the captain would get us in three-man teams, and he'd say, okay, guys, everybody's going to take an hour, hour and a half rotation. And we're not putting the sails up. We're just turning the engine on. And we're just going to make Miami overnight. And he would tell you all the things that you needed to do. Everybody got it? Yeah, you're a three-man team. Everybody got their rotation? Everybody got their alarm clock? Yeah. And you're sailing away from Miami, and this is what he did every time. You got it? Yeah, yeah, we got it. Okay, I'm going to sleep. Tomorrow I hope we're in the Bahamas. What? I had one parent seriously ask me, what if you end up in Cuba? And he would go to sleep and he'd wake up in the morning and it would happen every time. Crystal clear water, white sandy beach, and a teenager steering. How did he know that was going to happen? Little compass right in front of the wheel. And he said, okay, here's your point. Here is your fixed point. I don't care what happens. Don't get off this heading. Now, pretty soon you're not going to be able to see land. Currents are going to happen. and You, you won't be able to see the current, but you're going to need to stay to the fixed point. There might be a big wake that comes across. There might be a lot of wind that happens. You stay on the fixed point. Do not move off of that fixed point. And I don't know who's here this morning and feels like just got caught in a current. I was okay when I could see the land, but it's gotten dark in my life. A cloud has rolled in, and I just can't see anymore. Waves are battering you. And I want you to hear the Lord say through James, through me this morning, you stay on that fixed point. You know the fixed point. And it may seem like it's a long time, but the Lord is near. He is at the door, He is coming as we speak. So this is not the time to get off the fixed point. Do not let the darkness roll in and you roll off into some different direction. You stay on that fixed point. 
Maybe you're just tired. You've been long, hard breathing for a long time. And I believe James would want you to hear him say, don't give up right now. He would want to come alongside you and start running with you. I remember last year when I did the triathlon down at Wrightsville Beach, and I'm, it may be surprising, but I'm not really built as a triathlete. And so the end of the race, you run three miles, which feels like, you know, around the world for me. And the last, I don't know, half mile, I'm like, what? I'm stupid. I don't need to do this. Uh, and you just want to quit, but you're so close and you're so embarrassed by people looking at you. You just want to get done. And a friend of mine, he comes back and he's the kind of guy who can run and talk at the same time, which really makes you irritated. But at least at this point... I'm ready to quit, right? I'm done. I'm going to become a spot on the loop. And it's just like a little plaque. Paul Phillips died right here. And he comes along. Come on, Paul. Come on, Paul. Come on, Paul. And you may be that person, right? You may feel like, I'm just melting. I I can't do any long, hard breathing anymore. And James is coming alongside of you saying, Don't, no, this is not the time to stop running the race. The Lord, he's, he's on His way. I know it feels like there's a lot further to go. I know it's dark out there. I know lots of waves may have broken over your bow. But you, you're a Christian. You stay on that fixed point. You do not come off that fixed point. I don't care what is happening to you. You're going to keep going. Do you hear me? Do you hear James say that? Do you hear Christ saying that to you right now? You stay on it. It's worth it. He's on His way. He sees you. He's with you. So James wants to come alongside and he just wants to be a... His as encouraging as he possibly can to those who have grown tired. Well, like I said, when you grow tired, the easiest thing to do, the easiest thing to slip into is complaining. And so James gives us an appropriate warning. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers. I mean, you know this, don't you? If you've had a child and they get up too early or they miss their nap, what do you, what do you know it's going to feel like about 6 p.m.? Oh, man, it's not going to be pretty. Because that tired little child is going to turn into a big complainer. And you know it because you're a big complainer. When you get tired... And so it's a very easy thing to fall into, to just be a nitpicker, to be irritable, to, to I just always finding fault. I'm, I'm never content. I'm dissatisfied. Life's not fair. People should treat me differently. And it just rolls off of us just so normally, so naturally. It's like having a low-grade fever. You just never quite get over it. It just becomes a habit. You're just a habitual complainer and then you can think yeah 
but you know that's just the way we are i mean it's kind of the way i cope with stress so it's i mean complaining there are worse sins aren't there i mean is that that's not the biggest thing in the world and of course then you read the bible first corinthians 10 paul says don't be idolaters okay that's a big one i don't want to be an idolater don't commit sexual immorality, as some people did, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. Okay, I want to avoid sexual immorality. But, but there's one more in his list. He's just pushing these things together like, hey, these are the big ones. Idolatry, sexual immorality, do not grumble as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. Paul, Paul, you tell me those things are all about the same? I'm just telling you what Paul the Apostle writes. Don't be an idolater. Don't commit sexual immorality. Don't, don't be a grumbler. See, the James says the same thing, the judge is at the door. He, in other words, he's so close, he can hear. You may say, well, God, he doesn't hear. He's got, he's got the whole world to run. No, he's at the door. He's at your door. He overhears what's happening in your heart and in your house. And so I think, well, why is grumbling such a big deal? And one of the things you can see here in the text is that it divides the fellowship. Sometimes a church has been likened to a ship. We're the people in this ship. And it's hard out there. The elements are difficult. And when you go out, it's difficult. And James is saying, I understand it's difficult. So when you come in here, we don't need to be nitpicking. We don't need to be complaining. We don't need to be grumbling. It's difficult out enough out there that when you come in here, you're going to have to look at each other and say, I'm going to be patient today. Second thing that you know is grumbling is just a, a sort of a subtle way of saying what? God, you're not doing a very good job. And, of course, we don't want to say it because we're Christians, so we just grumble about other things. But really, it's a way of saying, if I were in control, I would know what to do. And it would work out just this way. And it would be a better way. So, God, if you could just cede some control to me, I could get things done the way it should be done, and you can take a nap now. And that's essentially what we're doing. We're just pushing God out of the way as if we're just a little bit smarter than God. We're a little bit more knowledgeable than God is. And it's easy to do, and it comes out when you're grumbling. One of my favorite books by C.S. Lewis, probably my favorite book, is called The Great Divorce. And you may have heard me talk about it before. It's a bus ride where people from hell get on a bus and they go to sort of the the beginnings of what is heaven. And so these people that are in the bus are ghosts. They don't, they're like hollow people. And they come up to heaven and they meet solid people. 
And there's these little encounters that C.S. Lewis uses between a ghost and a solid person to basically just show you the fallen nature of humanity. And Lewis himself puts himself on the bus. He has a solid person that's walking around with him. And basically the story goes, they look at another encounter and just these different encounters of how people are uh, encountering heaven in a solid person. And Lewis and his friend come up to a, one of these groups. We were interrupted by the thin voice of a ghost talking at enormous speed. It was addressing one of the solid people, but was too busy to notice us. The solid person tried to get a word in without success. And then Lewis describes this monologue by the person who's a ghost. And then they walk away and the person with Lewis says, what troubles you, son? Ask my teacher. I'm troubled because that unhappy creature doesn't seem to be the sort of soul that ought to be in danger of damnation. She isn't wicked. She's only a silly, garrulous old woman who's gotten into the habit of grumbling. Well, that's what she once was, and maybe that's what she still is, says the teacher. If so, she certainly will be cured, but the whole question is whether she is now a grumbler. Lewis says, oh, I should have thought there was no doubt about that. Ah, you misunderstand the question. The question is whether she is now a grumbler or only a grumble. See, it begins with a grumbling mood and yourself still distinct from it, perhaps even criticizing it. But in a dark hour, you may will that mood. You may even embrace it. Yet you can still repent and come out of it. But there may come a day when you can no longer do that. And then there will be none of you left. You'll just be a grumble going on like a machine forever. In another place, Lewis writes this, to admire Satan is to give one's vote not only for a world of misery, but also a world of lies, of wishful thinking, and of incessant autobiography. See, hell is incessant autobiography. Constantly grumbling about your situation. There's nothing worse than being with a person who's halfway to hell because all they do is they talk about themselves. It's a prison to be enslaved within yourself. And it could be that you just picked up a habit and you just don't think it's a big deal, but really if you had a good friend to come by and say, when I get around you, it's incessant autobiography. It's all about what should have happened or what could happen or what you're doing or what has happened to you. And you're just like a black hole. You're just caved in on yourself. And James is saying, that's a, that's a, that's a prison. You don't want to get in that. You don't want to get into that habit. We don't want to be grumblers. We want to be people who are sure, even in the darkest moments, that Christ is in control. I'm on that fixed point. I'm not a fixed point. I don't need to focus on myself. Today I feel great. Tomorrow I feel terrible. I'm not a good fixed point for you or anyone else. But I have a fixed point. And when you have a fixed point and it is not yourself, then you're not grumbling. If you take your eyes off that fixed point, then you become self 
appointed, and then you begin to grumble. Finally, we'll close with this. James gives us several examples to follow by just saying, look at the prophets, verse 11. Behold, now now look at this. These are, these are the kinds of people that we think are blessed. It's the prophets. And it would really be a, a worthwhile study. It could be much longer than a whole sermon. Just to go back and we look at the prophets and say, wow, they were the people who really were together with God. They really got to see things about God. They, they were chosen people. They hung in there in difficult times. And we put them up on our walls as sort of heroes. And we tell vacation Bible, sto- vacation Bible school stories about them. But then if you think about, well, would I want one of their lives? Consider Isaiah. Isaiah is in the temple. Isaiah 6, I heard the voice of the Lord saying to me, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? You see, God's in the pulpit, so to speak, and He's looking out at His congregation and saying, I'm I'm needing someone. Would would anyone out here who could hear my voice, would anybody be willing to, to take up my banner and go? And what does Isaiah say? Me, send me. Okay, okay, Isaiah, you're the man. Now let me tell you what the plan is. You're going to preach to a people who are never going to pay attention to you. You're going to be a pastor of a church of people who don't care to hear what you have to say. Okay, that, that's what you're going to do, Isaiah. Okay, go for it. Jeremiah became a preacher as a young man. And he gets called and Jeremiah looks at God and God says, okay, Jeremiah, you're the guy. I know you're young. Don't think you're too young, but let me give you the game plan. Let me map it out for you. Your best preaching day is going to be today. And the rest of your time is going to be downhill. You're going to be decreasing in popularity every time you get up in the pulpit. Finally, at the end of your life, you're going to be dragged out of the promised land. And you're going to actually be dragged back down to Egypt. And then your own people, back in slavery, will stab you in the back and kill you. Okay, now that's your game plan. Ready? You go. Okay, Hosea. Hosea, we're going to, we're going to get you... And you're going to be the person. You're going to, you're going to stand in, in my place. You're going to be one of these people that's knitted, his heart's knitted together with God. And in order to do that, the first thing you need to do, Hosea, is, is go marry this prostitute. And you're going to have to love her. And you're going to have to have children with her. And, and she's going to leave you. And you're going to have to take care of the kids all by yourself. And then she's going to go prostitute herself with other men. And while she's doing that, Hosea, you're going to have to pay for it. And she's never going to want to come back, but you're going to have to end up forking over some dough at the end to get her back. Okay, that's what you do, Hosea. Or Amos. You know, I know you're a little shepherd over here in this no-name town, but what I need you to do is speak to power. I need you to get to Jerusalem and speak to the high and mighty. But when you do, they're not going to pay attention to you. They're not going to like you. That's what you do. These are the people that we lift up as 
These are the heroes of the faith. These are the people that James is saying, these are the lives worth emulating. And of course, when you're talking about these people, you're always going to put Job in there. Job just always gets thrown in when it's a difficult time. You notice that? I talked to somebody this morning and said, I just feel like Job. Job, I need a volunteer. Of course, Job wasn't necessarily volunteering. He just got a chance to stand for God on this planet. God looked around and I said, I need some, I need, I need just need one person who will stand for me in a difficult time, who will stay on the fixed point, and I believe Job can do it. So Job, you're going to lose everything you have. The friends that come to you are going to give you bad advice. And your wife is going to come and say, you ought to just curse God and kill yourself. But I, I need you, Job. I need you to stand and stay focused on this fixed point. And so... God may be calling you for that duty. He is calling all of us to that in some measure. And you may be tired. You may be saying, hey, you know, I heard the call, but I didn't raise my hand. I think they raised their hand. Choose them. But he's chosen you. I want you to stay on that fixed point. I don't care how dark it's gotten in your life. I don't care what current you're in. I don't care what waves are coming against you. You stay on this fixed point. Let me close with the words from Hebrews 12. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God Consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, the the writer of Hebrews understood what James understood, what Jesus understood. That it's difficult down here on a dark planet to live as light. And it feels like the darkness is going to overcome us at different points. And so I pray for your people here in this building. That they would be encouraged. They would, they would hear the God of all creation say, I, I see your situation. I've called you to this hard place. I need you to stay on this fixed point in the place that I've put you. You cannot get off looking at something else. You must look at me. And it may cause great difficulty. It may cause 
pain, but it's worth it. You, you stay on this point. Some of us have stayed, but then we got off track by, by grumbling. And we're really in a great danger of just becoming a grumble. And there's none of us left. We're just incessant autobiography. Would you use this sermon to warn us? Lord, we are the examples for the next generation. People will stand on our shoulders. May they be made out of the strong timber of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea and Amos. These people that we consider blessed for eternity lived a very difficult life. May we be willing to step up and to stand firm. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.